Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how researchers created a new type of matter called a time crystal, how we might be able to save biodiversity by freeze-drying sperm, and why your brain isn't wired for multitasking. Let's satisfy some curiosity. When you think of a crystal, you might think of a diamond gem in a piece of jewelry or a snowflake fluttering from the sky, or the salt you sprinkle on your dinner. All of these crystals have one important thing in common. They have a regular pattern of atoms in a lattice with a specific symmetry in space. And maybe, just maybe, something similar could be done with time. You heard that right. Scientists are working to create time crystals, which would be an entirely new kind of matter. They're doing it by using the same ideas that describe crystal structure in the three dimensions of space, but in the fourth dimension of time. So something like the water in a glass has space translation symmetry. If you shrank to the size of an atom, you could go anywhere in the water and see basically the same thing all around you. But when that water freezes, the ice crystal breaks space translation symmetry. You have to move in a very specific direction by a very specific amount in order to see the same crystal lattice pattern you saw first. Similarly, a time crystal has a regular pattern except in time rather than space. But just like regular crystals are only symmetrical at specific points in space, time crystals are only symmetrical at specific points in time. Usually, a stable object does not change through time. A rock sitting on a table is stable and it doesn't change. A rock falling to the floor is unstable and it does change. But by breaking time translation symmetry, there could be an alternative. A stable object that does change in a periodic and predictable way. And here's the catch. It would have to change without using any energy. Okay, so everything I just talked about probably sounds like science fiction, but time crystals are a real possibility. And two different research teams claim they've actually created them. Now, their work has yet to be peer-reviewed, but it is promising. While previous attempts failed to satisfy all the criteria needed to be a true time crystal, these new experiments look like they will finally meet all of them. Like other exotic states of matter, time crystals are fragile and hard to scale. The practical application of a time crystal is still unclear, but if it's going to prove useful, it needs to be a longer chain of quantum particles. In this case, the two teams used 9 and 20 particles, respectively, and the reactions lasted just a few milliseconds. That sounds short, but the proof of concept could pave the way for much larger, stable time crystals. Whether a time crystal becomes the basis for the next Marvel villain, though, well, that just waits to be seen. I have so much to say about time crystals. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, stick around at the end of the episode. You heard her. <laughs> if you think your job is tough, you should try transporting mouse sperm. 
Seriously, for scientists who need to breed a particular mouse strain, sending sperm through the male in breakable vials is a recipe for disaster and lost research time. But now a team of researchers has found a way to freeze-dry sperm on a postcard. And this technique could mean much more than easier mouse breeding. That's not to say that easier mouse breeding isn't a reason to celebrate. See, most medical studies rely on experiments with mice. Often, that research requires certain genetic strains of mice. Some mouse strains contain particular genetic variations, like genes that alter the mouse's immune system in a particular way, or that make them prone to developing certain cancers. It's not a perfect system, but it's an important part of how medicine advances. And it typically requires packing a glass vial on ice, putting it in the mail, and just hoping for the best. Often, the best does not happen. Vials break and ice melts, and that ruins experiments, or at least sets them back. So that's why, earlier this year, a group of reproductive biologists from Japan tried and succeeded in freeze-drying mouse sperm onto a little piece of filter paper, sealing it between two pieces of plastic, attaching it to a postcard, and mailing it 120 miles, or 200 kilometers, to another lab. Amazingly, that lab was able to not only rehydrate the sperm, but use it to produce a litter of healthy mice. This wasn't the first time that the researchers had freeze-dried sperm. In fact, they sent a batch to the International Space Station to study how radiation from space affects cells. But this is the first time freeze-dried sperm has survived being shipped on a postcard. But like I said, this isn't just a big deal for mouse breeding. The researchers think that this sperm preservation technique will also allow scientists to create catalogs of genetic information, say, of endangered species. At the moment, all preserved sperm is kept in freezers, which is costly and vulnerable to electricity outages. Freeze-drying sperm might help scientists more easily preserve biodiversity into the future by allowing the construction of the animal equivalent of a seed bank. If this technology can be perfected, the future of Earth's biodiversity might be freeze-dried. Yeah, and you can go up to a cabinet. It's like a library card catalog. You can pull out the drawer, but instead of catalogs, it's genetics. It's the gooey decimal system. Don't use that. <laughs> can I keep that? I want to keep that. You can keep that if you want to. I'm totally keeping that. I'm absolutely <laughs> keeping that. We all want to be more productive. And for a lot of us, that means multitasking. Well, if you think that's the secret to getting more done, then you might want to think again. Since the misguided idea of multitasking is so popular, we felt compelled to remaster this classic Curiosity Daily clip from 2018 to remind you of the truth and what you should do instead. Research says your brain is not wired for multitasking, but we all love saving time. So today, we'll tell you what to do instead of multitasking to spend your time more efficiently. I think I had multitasker as a bullet point on my resume for like 10 years. Really? Yeah. Did you remove it after you got a job here? <laughs> well, believe it or not, I haven't updated my resume lately. Uh, but next time I do, I may remove it for this reason. Yeah. The thing about multitasking is that you're never actually doing two tasks at the same time. You're just switching from one to the other and back again. 
that switching eats up more time than you probably realize. In a 2007 study, people who were interrupted by an email or an instant message during a computer task were 20 to 25 minutes behind by the time they resumed the first task, even though the interruption only took 10 minutes. A third of those people took more than two hours to get back on task. So do the opposite of multitasking and instead batch your tasks. The idea is that you split up your tasks by category, things like emails, writing, and idea generation. Then do all of each type in one chunk of time. That chunk can be one four-hour session on Mondays or a 30-minute session every morning and evening, whatever the task calls for. Mark it in your calendar and treat it like an appointment. Now, this works great for things like responding to emails or scheduling tweets, but it doesn't always work with creative tasks like writing and designing. A 2017 study out of Columbia Business School found that when people regularly switched between tasks, they performed better on a test of creative thinking than people who worked on one task the whole time, and even those who switched when they felt like it. So at the end of the day, a little bit of both might be best. Batch those pesky tasks that eat up your time and save your switching around for the creative stuff. Did you like how I was writing emails the whole time you read that? <laughs> I loved that. I was listening, I promise. On topic. <laughs> Let's recap the main things we learned today, Ashley. Well, we learned that a time crystal is an exotic, stable state of matter that breaks time translational symmetry. That is something that's only the same at specific points in time, the way the lattice of a crystal is only the same at specific points in space. Two different research teams claim to have created one, but their work has yet to be peer-reviewed, so we'll just sit tight. So time crystals... I have a very long history with time crystals, which is weird to say because time crystals haven't been around that long. But my very first article that I ever wrote about quantum physics was about time crystals, which <laughs> was a bad idea. That was a bad idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did not have the experience to write about them. But I, I remember working so hard on that article, talking to a physics teacher about it kind of like really digging in. It took me days and days to really wrap my head around it. I still don't understand it. I still don't like generally when I'm writing about science, I really strive to fully understand the topic. I'm able to visualize it. I'm able to make maybe metaphors about it and like really explain it from every angle. And with time crystals, I mean, what... <laughs> Like, how do you visualize something that has a regular pattern in time that actually is a stable object that changes in a periodic but predictable way? It is completely outside of anything that we know in everyday life. I mean, that's quantum physics for you, right? It's just the way that I have to understand quantum physics. I may have said this on the show many years before, but it's like looking at a magic eye picture. You just have to sort of relax and let it wash over you. And then you can see the picture. It's never like I never fully understand it. I just kind of get the gist. How about you, Cody? Do you understand it? Well, wow, you did have a lot to <laughs> you did have a lot to say about that. I do. Time crystals are are close to my heart. Sure. Even though you don't know how close they would be or what they look like or. Exactly. Or, or how often they would be near my heart and then not near my heart. I don't know. Wow. Could I also quickly say, I know we mentioned a couple times that these studies are not yet peer reviewed. We recently received some feedback from somebody that was actually kind of upset that we occasionally talk about studies that are not yet peer reviewed. I just want to emphasize that 
We will always make it very clear when a study is not yet peer reviewed. And when we talk about stories that involve something that has yet to be peer reviewed, you're still going to walk away with knowledge that's going to persist regardless of whether that study is true. Like you now know about time crystals, whether or not these two research teams were actually able to create time crystals, you still walk away with the knowledge of what a time crystal is. So that's the purpose of when we do it. And when, you know, when an exciting potential new study comes up and it gives us an excuse to talk about something as cool as time crystals, you know, we're going to take it. But the takeaway is what are time crystals and, you know, a nice hope that maybe they've been created. Yeah, our hope is always that when we cover a study, it teaches you more about the world than just like limited to the study itself, which is why sometimes stuff that's not peer reviewed is just kind of a cool jumping off point to learn about stuff that we do know. Exactly. Well, in other news, in an actually peer reviewed study, Japanese scientists have freeze dried mouse sperm on a postcard and then they mailed it to another lab where it was successfully rehydrated and used to make healthy mouse babies. It sounds weird, but it makes mouse research way easier. And it also might pave the way for catalogs of genetic information that could preserve Earth's biodiversity into the future. Makes a little less weird now, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Nope, it's still very weird. But it's really cool. And I like the idea, again, of pulling out a card catalog drawer <laughs> and a bunch of little postcards you just file through. Mm, there's the genetic info for a woolly mammoth, for example. Right, except we don't have woolly mammoth sperm. There's an genetic sample of a mouse, for example. Perfect. We also learned that your brain is not wired for multitasking. When you're quote-unquote multitasking, you're not doing two things at once. You're technically switching between tasks, and that actually slows you down. So instead, batch your tasks and do the same type of work all at once. Stuff like emails or scheduling tweets. Now, this might not work for more creative tasks, so maybe block your more mundane tasks together, and when it comes to the more creative stuff, switch that stuff around a little bit. Whatever you do, just remember, it's okay to experiment. It's just as helpful to find what doesn't work for you as it does to find what does work for you. Today's writers were Brianna Brownell, Cameron Duke, and Ashley Hamer, who's also our managing editor. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow, or yesterday, depending on what your time crystal says, to learn something new in just a few minutes. That's not how that works. No, it's not. Just forget what I just said. No. No, it's not. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.